Welcome back to Arab American Psycho. My name is Noor, and this week I'm so excited to talk to our guest. She's a model, artist, and designer from New York City. Welcome, Shireen Muhammad. Hi, Noor. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be a part of this. I can't thank you guys enough for wanting to hear about my story and whatnot. Yeah, so. you're super you're just like one of those girls on Instagram that I feel like as soon as I see your feed, I'm like, this girl's actually uh-huh. cool. Like, it's not like this weird glass and mirrors kind of like Instagram facade. I'm like, no, no, she's actually yeah, cool. Oh, that's so sweet. That means so much. And I wanted to emphasize that too. I, whenever I post something on my Instagram, I want it to feel true and authentic and not feel forced. So I'm glad. Yeah. And I think that Instagram is kind of a space that has this reputation of being more so curated in a forced negative way. So like, it's really nice when you come across pages that you're like, this person is just sharing what they like love and you can like it translate. I'm glad. Thank you so much. So sweet. So you were born and raised in New York, right? Yeah, I was. So you're like a New Yorker, New Yorker. I'm a a native New Yorker. So whenever I come across someone that's also a New Yorker, I'm just like, oh God, like us. <laughs> and then we, we'll talk about like our elementary schools and middle schools. And yeah, it's it's funny to look back at how New York City once was compared to how yeah. it is now. But wait, are you from New York City too? or No, I'm based in Florida. I am just in oh. New York, like frequently enough where sometimes people are like, do you live here? Like, are you yeah. from here? But I just, I usually, before everything happened, I would be there for like fashion weeks. And then one of my really close friends lives there. So like, you know, mm-hmm. any chance I got to visit her, I was like, you know, up there. So I usually go a few times a year. I think this is the first year and I don't even know how long where I've only been there like I think once or twice. Interesting. Oh, I'm sure because of the pandemic. But it's funny because when I look back and reflect at this moment and I see most people that aren't from New York City is heading back home because of the virus, it almost mm-hmm. feels like it was like it's like more of a calm setting. And I don't know, it almost feels like how New York City was before. So it's interesting to look at the contrast from like how yeah. New York City was then versus now. How do you feel about like, I feel like there is this kind of people are like, well, fuck you. Bye to the people who are like, I'm leaving. You know what I mean? Like as a, as a native, like, yeah. at, like, you, like, do you feel like it's like, uh, yeah, you, you, you should probably leave if you don't want to be here kind of thing. I don't mind a slower setting. I think like, I don't know if it hit when it came to age, but I didn't go to many large gatherings after a while or I didn't have an a desire to do that. So aside from just like meeting a couple friends at home, um, which is some things that I still not do even throughout the pandemic, um, it, it didn't phase me or it didn't really, um, make a difference for me. Yeah. I feel like it's just one of those things that there's a lot of people who feel so strongly about it. So they're like super loud about it. So I'm like, is this like a common theme that people are feeling? But it's probably just one of those things that the few people who do feel super passionately about it are being very intense about it. So it's like, oh, yeah. shit, like, is, is this like, are people like having like group meetings about this? But <laughs> one of the things that I kind of wanted to definitely talk to you about, because I think that it's like super relevant to a lot of the listeners kind of their lives and 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 me being an Arab American and having this like 
you know, third culture kid life. What was it like for you growing up in a mixed household? I know that's such an open-ended so, question. Yeah. Oh my God, no. I, it's funny because I feel like my identity or my background is a part of me and I take it from the time that I was a child to the present. And growing up being biracial, I never really noticed it as something that was unique. I've always thought it was normal that my mom and my father had two different cultures, even though I thought that they somewhat looked alike because we all have barely the same skin tone. So it wasn't like, oh, my father is, you know, different from my mom, even though I understood at a young age that they had different upbringings. Um, And I remember that because when I was, I think, six years old, either five or six, my father would take my sister and I to Pakistan. And that way we got to be there every summer until about the age of 10. And we embraced a different side of the world. And at first, like when I first took the trip, I didn't really understand where we were going aside from my father's hometown. So I understood the the difference comparison, you know, from Pakistan to, you know, life in New York City. But it was normalized at an early age. And because I grew up in New York City, my public schools were pretty diverse. So I remember when I was in second grade, our teacher would go around and just went around the circle and each child or student had to, got to share their identities or their ethnicities. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't like I was the only black person or the only Pakistani one there. We were all different. And I think one thing that I love about New York City was how diverse it was. And, you know, it didn't feel like I stood out. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said about kind of being in an environment where it is kind of that melting pot, because if you're the only biracial kid in a school that's like predominantly, you know, white kids, it's much more like, okay, you're, you're the one who's different. But like Mm -hmm. when you're kind of around all these different cultures, it's this nice thing because I just find that for me, in my experience, most of my friends who um, have parents who are immigrants or one parent that is an immigrant, like we're just the same. Even like if I'm Arab and they're South Asian, like we're just so yeah. similar or even yeah, my friends who are like West Indian, like just the, mm-hmm. the, the whole kind of idea of like your family's constantly trying to feed you, you know, that whole thing yeah. I feel like is yeah, like a huge yeah. part of all of our lives. And it <laughs> just kind of, when you're a kid, I, I, I just, I didn't notice that I was different either when I was a kid and I was a little Arab kid, which I, you know, I have fairer skin. So there's that, but like, I definitely didn't think there was any difference between me and like the Brittany who was sitting right next to me. Like I never, even never crossed my mind. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. But I do know that, um, I understood my color or Mm -hmm. my skin tone and, or even colorism when I was a child during my trips to Pakistan. And I remember when I would go there, they would consider my sister and I dark skin. But mm-hmm. when I was in New York City, I was considered a light skin. So I didn't understand. I understood at that age where, like, how colorism played a role and how there was a notion that being darker was considered more unattractive or less. And um, that was something that I remember that I picked up on a younger age. 
And was that something that like, I mean, yeah, I think that in a lot of cultures, colorism, I mean, in America, it's, it's happening. It's a thing. It's, you know, and I think children pick up on it too. Do you, how do you feel like that kind of affected you or did it not have an effect on you at all? Oh my God. No, it definitely had an effect. I think that that's still something that I carry on, but I, I think like around um, my early twenties, I start just to embrace my natural self, the skin that I'm in, as well as my hair and my ethnicity. But um, it was definitely things that I had to, you know, unlearn about like the standard of beauty and know that, um, you know, just finding more confidence in myself Mm. and the person that I am. And I knew that that was enough. But um, yeah, it was interesting because I just remember if I felt like being perceived as dark or unattractive, was um, considered one culture, I just Mm -hmm. gravitated towards the other one that did not make me feel that way. And that was my black side. So did you feel more? I, I, that was one of the questions that I really wanted to ask you because growing up having these two vastly different cultures, you know, which sounds like you gravitated more towards black culture rather than Pakistani culture. Yeah. But that also, um, I know that, you know, class privilege, um, the event, the incident in 9-11 and gravitating naturally towards my mom. Cause I was always just like a mom's girl when I was younger played a role. And one thing that really did sh- struck a nerve for me or that made a huge effect was because I was 10 years old when 9-11 happened. And around that time, there were plenty of texts just being Muslim or even having my last name. And especially in middle school, you get picked on over everything. And that was something that I was attacked on or being ridiculed over. And it made me want to, you know, draw less attention towards that side or not even identify myself as Pakistani because, um, you know, it's hard when you're getting made fun of over an identity that you can't control. I was born into this. And um, for a while, I had a hard time embracing my last name because with my last name came, you know, comments of being related to terrorists or having um, a bomb in my bag. And it's hard because I was being treated this way, but within the Pakistani culture, because I didn't have many Pakistani friends, um, I wasn't really perceived as Pakistani. I was just half Pakistani. So it almost felt like I couldn't really relate to somebody that was fully Muslim or fully mm-hmm. Pakistani or not like fully Muslim, but like I wasn't wearing a hijab to school. So I can only imagine what they were going through. And I felt like what I got was like torment, you know, and I'm only half. So that was hard because I feel like you want to relate to someone and I didn't know anybody that was half black and half Pakistani growing up or half black or half South Asian. And it's very, it can feel very like isolating to, to not feel like there's anyone that you can like look to who's like, okay, like this person is like, maybe not exactly like me, but maybe even a little like me. You know what I mean? Like slightly, like we, we, someone who you can see yourself in, who's kind of living a similar life to you, I think is important when you're a young woman in general. But I also think when, when you're a young, I mean, I, I didn't live in America during, 
during 9-11, I would just come home for summers at that point. Um, I lived overseas at that time. Yeah. And so, I mean, I remember my summer, the first summer I came back after 9-11 being told outside Mm -hmm. of a Target by a grown adult man to go back to my country. And oh, and oh, God. And, but I was able, the thing is, is I was able to just kind of laugh it off because this was like a, this was like a one-off. It's not like I was going through it consistently. This was like a one-time thing and it wasn't in my school, which I think when children are in school, they want to feel like safe. They want to feel safe in school and like, you know, to have to feel different. Exactly. Especially in middle school when you're already struggling with identity and struggling with self-confidence and and you're changing and this and that and like all the shit that, you know, middle school kids are going through to put on top of that, like 9-11 happening. You, your last name is Muhammad, which is like the most Muslim name that's maybe ever existed. Yeah, it's it's the most just, common name in this world, but yeah, yeah, it's like literally it, your last name might as well be like, "Hi, I'm a Muslim," and so yeah. I, can't even, <laughs> I can't even imagine what that was like. And you seem like yeah. you're pretty. Like I'm, I'm just gonna go ahead and make an observation. Like you seem like you're a pretty, like you know, more quiet to yourself kind of kid. So oh, yeah, definitely, I was so shy when I was growing up too, and it was hard because when I felt like I was getting attacked, I didn't know how to respond to it. Right. You know, so there would be times where I would just swallow it and let it soak in and, you know, absorb it. But it was hard to express to anybody that this was something that I was going to because I was so deeply ashamed of it, you know. And I think that even with 9-11 and the atmosphere in New York City, there was like afterward, there were tons of attacks on Mm -hmm. everybody that looked or perceived to be Muslim. They could have been, you know... Hindu or Sikh, but they were getting attacked and um, it almost felt like it was a world against the Muslim culture. So that's how I felt. And a part of me just wanted to, I I just felt like back then I was too weak to fight it or, you know. I mean, you were a kid. Like that's what I'm saying. Like no kid, no child at that age has tools to deal with that magnitude I think of you know bullying for like something that's completely out of your control like it's not like they're saying like hey Shireen I hate your shoes no they're like I hate you like who you are like that's just even as an adult do you have the tools to deal with that I know a lot of adults that don't it's 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 a challenging thing no, I definitely have overcome it. There are just some times where I look back and I reflect and I'm thinking like, what if 9-11 didn't happen? Where mm-hmm. would Islamophobia exist? Or would it, what if I had the courage to stand up and still embrace my my identity? Where would I be now? But I am definitely very confident and I embrace both sides. And if anything, I know that this is something that I look back and I'm like, well, I'm always going to keep my last name because it took a while for me to love and embrace it. And it's never going to let go. Even if I do get married, I'm still having Muhammad as oh, me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm on the same boat as you were. Even if I get married, I'm not changing my last name. I just feel like it's, yeah. it's just, it's who I it's am. Me. Like, it's, it's a part of who I am. Yeah. It's like, I can't change that a part of, you know, and it took a while for me to finally love and embrace it. I'm not getting rid of it now. So I love that. Yeah. I'm happy to hear that you've embraced it. And yeah, I like, I mean, like, I just have to say, like, I'm sorry that you even went through that. That's fucking terrible. Oh, no, like, no, I, no. Cause I know, I know that people have gone through far worse. And I, this is just coming from somebody that was 
only biracial and only just had the name Muhammad. Did you feel like the black community embraced you as a biracial woman? Uh, Yeah, definitely. More so, but there were times where um, some people were shocked that I was black. And at the time when I was younger, I would always straighten my hair and my hair was like down to my waist. So most people didn't even realize I was black. They thought I was Hispanic or Muslim, as if that was my race, you know, because I had a hard time <laughs> yeah. telling people that I was Pakistani, but they're like, oh, you're Muslim, you know? So it's like, yeah. Yeah, they yeah, just yeah. assumed that when I was younger, but the last thing they thought was that I was black, you know? So, but when, but amongst the black community, I've always felt embraced versus my South Asian or DC side. I think I gravitated more towards biracial people when I was younger and I were people that were somewhat different from me or had different experiences. Like I've had friends that were white and Egyptian, um, which is like my close friend to this day. I had friends that were black and Hispanic or black and white, but their experience by being biracial is far different from somebody that's black and Pakistani and, or even black and South Asian. Yeah. But I truly thought when I was younger that my sister and I were the only people on this planet that was black and Pakistani. It just seemed so foreign. And I feel like it took time for my family to get adjusted to it on my Pakistani side. And, you know, I feel like their culture, our culture is so installed to like not have many biracial relationships. So to have someone that was black on top of that was like considered taboo or it made me feel like I was like less than them, you know? So it's hard because I felt like I was getting made fun of for being Pakistani. But if I go amongst my Pakistani family or friends, they don't really look at me as Pakistani. I felt like I was more black, but I didn't feel that way within the black community. And I think that's the reason why I was more attracted to the black community when I was younger, especially in high school. Definitely. And I mean, like, yeah, like you want to go towards people who, you know, accept you for who you are and don't make you feel less than like, that's, I think, just such a normal human response to it. And, you know, I I mean, from my experience, when I was like, probably in my early 20s, I was dating a Pakistani guy. And I remember him telling his mom that he really liked me. And she like had like a mental breakdown because she was like, like, she was like, hysterically crying because she was like, she's, she's not Pakistani. Like, you're not marrying her. And and I was just like, so shocked. I was like, but I'm but I'm Muslim. Like I thought, like, I thought that yeah. was like, you know, Muslims whole, you know what I mean? And even it's at this funny. Point, I, I actually felt that- the same. So I remember when I was younger, I think I was like seven years old when I started watching Bollywood films and I was obsessed with it. I was like, this is what I want. I want a Bollywood love story for me. Like I, I've always thought of it as romantic, but then when I grew up, I realized that most Pakistani men or Indian men wouldn't even consider me as Pakistani. I would still mm-hmm. be considered black or like dating outside of the race. So it's like I knew that being me as half Pakistani wasn't enough for other families. So that turned me in part where I'm just like, oh, like I don't really think that I'm going to have this fairy tale. Like I, mm-hmm. no one's going to, you know, like. I don't know. So I think that that was one thing that has struck me when I was younger. And it it did, you know, sting a bit, but I naturally ended up finding somebody that was also biracial. But one thing that I always said to myself was like, it would be so nice 
to find somebody that was black and Pakistani. Like, wouldn't that be like the perfect that match? So they would totally cool. understand. Yeah, yeah, but it's like, where do we see any? It's like I barely even see anybody that's half black and half DC. So, um, I mean, honest with you, like, I'm like thinking really hard if I know anyone. I know yeah. a Pakistani woman who is married to a black man, but she uh, already had like she was like older when she married him and she was like divorced and she like all of her kids were like grown so like yeah. I, I don't think they have any kids together but like other than that I don't I don't think I know of any now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like holy shit I genuinely yeah. and I know a lot of Pakistani people like I know I know a lot that are half yeah. white I feel like that's more of a common thing or like um somewhere yeah, that's like European yeah, yeah yeah but I have never come across yeah. anyone who was half Pakistani half black and it- you would be surprised because now that I put it out there on my Instagram, people are more like engaged with it. I've had a couple, actually not a couple, like a handful amount of people <laughs> that would reach out and be like, I'm also black and Pakistani. So cool. I met up with, yeah, it was nice because I got to connect with someone in person. And that was one of my first times having a conversation with a girl who's also has a Pakistani father and a black mom. And when I saw her, like, I'm sure people mistaken her for Guyanese or West Indian. Mm-hmm. But when I saw her, I was like, wow, it's like almost like we could be cousins. Like I saw the biracial in her. And it was just nice to finally connect with someone face to face and be like, wow, you're just like me, you know, or has like a similar experience. And it, like it came back to the idea of like, I don't know if you've heard of this book before, but it really showed a lot about race relationships. It's like, why do all the black kids sit together in in the cafeteria? And it talks about how it's because sometimes like in this crazy world or, you know, things that are always feels like it's against them, like they can share their common experience with struggles and identities and things that they celebrate. But I just never felt like I ever had a seat at my own table. I've never really met anybody that was black and Pakistani. And it's funny because like, I feel like as like a biracial, you'll meet other people that are black and white, but you'll rarely ever see anybody that's black and Pakistani. So whenever anybody reaches out to me through Insta and they share their story about how they're black and Pakistani, like I, I talk to them for days. Like I love to hear like what they've gone through and it's like crazy how similar it is to my experience. And I didn't realize how important it is to have that representation. And it wasn't until um, Yara Shahidi, who um, is just black and Irani, is on TV and even Kamala Harris. I'm like, wow, it's like nice. Like she's yeah. black and South Asian. So it's like now I'm seeing it more. But when I was growing up, I didn't. And that's why I truly felt like I was the only one that had this experience or is going through this pain of like, not feeling like a fit amongst like my black side or my black sunny side. And I, and, and that's the thing. I think it's like struggling with identity is something that everyone can relate to. But the thing about struggling with identity is that like, there's always this sense of comfort when you find someone who is like you. And like, for you, like yeah. that wasn't something that happened for a very long time. And I mean, even for me, because I, you know, I, I have Palestinian parents. I grew up in America. I felt very much so connected to being American more than anything. And then, um, I grew up, I lived in Malaysia for a long time. I definitely didn't feel like anyone there was like me. And then I lived overseas Mm -hmm. in Dubai for some time. And I thought like, okay, great. Like Arab people, I'm going to feel connected to them. And I've never more in my life felt more 
isolated or disconnected from other people. Like living in Dubai was such a strange experience. And I'm lucky that I was able to make a few friends who weren't even Arab. Like most of them were like Pakistani or, or British. But I think that for me, like I didn't find someone who I felt like you're like me until I was in my 20s. And it's so interesting because even till this day, they're, they're still my friends. And when I talk to them, I feel like you're the only people who like understand me, they understand my family dynamic. And like, there's such a yeah. relief in, in talking to someone where you feel like you don't need to explain things to them. And they just, they get it. And it's so comfortable and it's so easy. And I think everyone kind of deserves to have something like that. And it, it does kind of sometimes come down to like, you want someone who's has the same kind of, I guess, heritage or household or upbringing as you. Yeah. It brings a lot of comfort, you know, like throughout this journey. So I agree. And I, I loved your story in Vogue about kind of embracing your natural hair. And I know that that's definitely something that a lot of women's like, you know, even lots of Arab women that oh, I know, definitely. like it's, it's such like a common thing where like you, you have it ingrained in your head that like straight hair is like the best and like, this is what it is and this is how yeah. it should be. And it's easy. And it's like, and, and curly hair is so difficult and, and finicky. And like, yeah. even just the language surrounding like the marketing for women with curly hair, it's like made to seem like this huge burden for you, like now you have mm-hmm. to deal with this. Like you were cursed with this, and 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 here's how we're going to help you manage it. Like you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's it's always about yeah, like now, how can you manage it? Yeah, definitely. It's funny because I was actually leaving my hair curl straight. I permed my hair straight and relaxed it when I was 12 years old. And that was a time when my mom let me do it. But I remember begging her. I was like, please let me straighten my hair when I was like nine or 10. Um, but a part of me always left it straight was to feel somewhat connected to my Pakistani roots because I felt like when I left it straight, I looked more daisy. Mm-hmm. And a part of me wanted to hold on to that and say like, no, like I'm also, I'm also Pakistani too. And even if, when I left it straight, no one even like most Pakistani um, peers that I met still couldn't see it. Or if anything, sometimes they would say like, I can kind of see it, but you look more West Indian or Guyanese versus Pakistani. Which but, um, I, I and have I, that was also Indian. frustrating. I have a West Indian brother-in-law. And so I know how people really like to make how a lot of South Asian people that I've encountered really like to make that distinguishment. Like, no, you're West Indian. You are different. Yeah. You are you, yeah. almost like you are it's less like, than. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I don't think of it as less than personally, oh, because I know yeah, I don't. Too, so like I understand how that feels, but it's more so like being identified over something that I'm not. I've also gotten Dominican and I'm like, well, I'm just not Dominican. I'm, right. you know, biracial. And a lot of right. people are just like, oh, well, you don't look Pakistani and, or you don't look black. And I'm like, exactly, because I'm half. Like this is how <laughs> a half Pakistani person looks like, you know? So it's like, I've gotten to the point where I'm just like, I'm just going to embrace me. You know, like yeah. this is this is how I look. And it wasn't until I accidentally cut my hair way too short. And I think of it as a blessing because it really helped me learn how to take care of curly hair. And I feel like I just mastered it. And it's been like a five-year journey for me. Some people think that like I've always left it curly. I'm like, uh uh-uh, I've always relaxed my hair. And even a part of my black side, my mom has always permed her hair. She's never left it natural. 
So I was never exposed to anybody taking care of curly hair. And I naturally have very thick, you know, Pakistani hair that's curly. Yeah. So I have like more hair than the average curly hair girl does. <laughs> so it's it's hard to like, you know, make it look normal. Because at first I was just like, oh, it looks way too big. And I don't know how to comb it or take care of it. or And I didn't want to feel like I would have to do a wash and wash and set, which is just wetting your hair every single day and drying it out and then leaving your place every single day. So it took time for me to just embrace it. But it wasn't until I started embracing my natural curls and my natural skin tone, I stopped wearing makeup like I used to. So when I like started getting more of an audience on Instagram and I was like, oh God, you guys actually think this is this is pretty just me being my natural self. Yeah. And I just had more of a positive response to it than I did when my hair was long and straight. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about the internet. Like for all the shit that's bad about the internet, it really does kind of create this sense of community that you never really expect. And then it happens and you're like, these are like my people. These people see me for who I am and they love me for who I am. They like me for like, you know what I mean? And and I'm not saying like, oh yeah, seek validation, but like you're allowed to get validated by that. Yeah, I, it's like, so funny because I feel like the internet has o- has only worked wonders for me. I was able to like start a career from it. I, mm-hmm. for the first time, was able to gain Pakistani, like a Pakistani community of friends because I didn't have Pakistani friends or Desi friends too. So like Indiana and Pakistani until I start connecting with people on Instagram and they've made me feel whole, like within my ro- roots, where it's like, mm-hmm. we're going to accept you for who you are. You're like they don't perceive me as I'm not really Pakistani enough. They embrace all of me, which is includes my black side too. Cause that's another thing that like, I don't want to feel like I'm, you know, neglecting my black roots because both sides mean, you know, me who I am. And one of my closest Pakistani friends has told me in the past, that like, I, there's days where I see like the Pakistani in you and there's days where mm-hmm. I see like the black in you. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize how much I needed to hear that. I'm like, this is what I've always wanted was to just be recognized for who I am, you know, but yeah, I love the internet. (laughs) I love, I love the internet. But I also know when you have to take a break from it too. Yeah. I also know when you have to take a break, especially when like, you know, like things get in your head or you feel a little discouraged or you're comparing yourself to other artists. And I know, I don't know if it's, comes with age, but I just remember there was a time when like Instagram wasn't a thing or like it wasn't like I entered Instagram at a young age where I felt like I constantly had to upload an image or a story. I just know that like I can distinguish the difference between like enjoying my life and, you know, utilizing Instagram when it's necessary. And But I know how good it feels. So I'm happy I have that balance and yeah. I think it's so important to have that balance. And and I'm really grateful that I kind of feel similarly about it where like, I've only had really great opportunities happen because of the internet. So the the few negative things that happen really just kind of, I think, evaporate because it's just like, look at all this great that's come from it. And I think that like you were saying, like, it's just kind of knowing when you need to like step back or when, you know, I I love sharing. I love sharing my family online. I think one of the reasons I love sharing my family online is because I never saw anyone growing up with a family like mine. And so much of my audience is like, your family is like mine. Your dad is just like my dad. And I know that that feels, it feels nice. It feels 
like this, this thing that's like you already, I don't know, it's just something about it's so comforting. And so I love to share that. But, you know, even then sometimes I have to take a step back. And I'm just like, am I am I sharing because I want to share or am I sharing because I -hmm. expect X, Y, and Z to happen? And I think that's an important way to distinguish things. I was even talking to someone from Instagram a few weeks ago and we were just kind of talking about content and they were like, you're the first creator I've spoken to who hasn't, hasn't asked me, how do I, how do I like hack the algorithm or like, how do I get more engagement? And I was just like, oh yeah. Listen, I, I, you know, when, when, when the algorithm first changed, I'm not going to act like I wasn't that bitch. I was that bitch that was just like, the algorithm hates me. And like, no one is seeing my post. But then I realized I was like, listen, as long as I'm sharing content that I genuinely love, and I want to share with Mm -hmm. other people, because I love it. If, if it gets half the quote unquote normal views I get or not, it, it's meaningless to me because ultimately I'm yeah. sharing it because that's something that I decided that I want to do. And there's no, I, I just feel like I've evolved past that point of like saying my post did well versus my post didn't do well. Oh yeah, and I definitely. There was a time that that was a huge thing I know for me and other creators. And I'm just like, what is the point of me feeling this way? What am I achieving by this? I think it's kind of like one of those feelings that there's, I'm kind of just wasting my own energy. Yeah. It's funny because I feel like I've never, I've actually never really looked at my statistics too much. There was a time, like I remember when I didn't have more than 5,000 followers, but that was around the time where it just felt carefree, where you can just Mm -hmm. express your authentic self and not make it too much of a business. Like I, I think it's smart to utilize what you can with, you know, social media, but I, I know that I would be way too consumed with it if I'm looking at like my data and statistics and be like, oh, these, you know, like the algorithm is like ruining my followers or my likes and stuff. And it's just, I just feel like I generally just don't have the time for it. Like I rather put my energy towards something that's really going to like help me, you know, like uplift myself or like my career. But going back into, you know, just feeling good about like social media, I've had ladies sometimes send me a random DM and would express how happy they were to see someone that was also black and pox signing be represented or seeing someone oh that looked like them. And it just made all it worthwhile where it's like, Oh wow. Like this. So this is, you know, like this is good, you know, like, so I, those are the moments that I take, you know, I cherish Instagram for, you know, Same. all the positive that can bring throughout this journey. And I always have to remember like all the things that I've accomplished instead of just like counting the things that I'm like, oh, this is what I got to work on. And this is what I need to do to elevate myself or compare. And yeah, it just, it gets too much. And I'm even at the period right now where I'm like, I need a little break and I'm okay with it, you know? And I think that that's like the healthiest way to feel. And, and it just really like all, I mean, for those who don't, think that representation is important. I don't know if those people exist, but like it, this is just like literally the perfect example of like why representation is so crucial for young people. Like seeing someone who mirrors what you see in yourself in some way, shape or form, whether it's the way they look, the way they act, the interests that they have. I mean, 
one of the things that I struggled with growing up is like, I feel like no one likes the music that I like. And there's something that feels isolating about that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's, it's just like one of those weird things Like you want as humans, we want to connect with other people. And like, when you feel like you're not connecting with people, it's, it can be a struggle, but like with the internet, it's like, if you like something or if you are, you know, half this, half that, you're going to find someone who is shares that in common with you. And it's Mm -hmm. very cool. It's very cool. I did want to talk to you about your handmade clothing. Um, I, I want so I read online, I did like a little bit of digging. Did you teach yourself how to crochet? Oh, I oh, actually, I learned how to crochet when I was in high school. Because I just took like a random craft class. So I used to always um, sew hats and scarves. But during the pandemic, I was like, it would actually be really cool if I learned how to like make a top or even a dress. But it would be way too time consuming to make a dress. But um, I taught myself how to like relearn how to do patterns and manipulate them. I even took a couple um, like private tour, like private tutoring or having like instructors show me virtually how to like understand certain patterns. But um, I also got to teach my mom because when I like started making handmade pieces, I was like, I can't do this by myself. So this is also like a really nice like bonding workshop thing that I did with my mom and we did it together. But you would be surprised at how easy it is to learn how to crochet. <laughs> I just think that some people might not have the patience for it, but I think anybody can do it. I think the most um, skill thing that can be challenging is learning how to sew. My best friend showed me how to sew, and then eventually I started taking workshop classes and like learning through YouTube. So I didn't have formal training on it. It's not like I went to school for it. But I like have the thrive and the passion to just learn as I grow. And that's something that I feel like I've have done throughout my life. I just feel like it, when I look back in the past, like three years ago, I was doing something far different from what I was doing, you know, six years ago. So um, modeling and working for independent brands helped me, you know, find a passion. I've always been interested in clothes, but then there's times where I'm just like, you know, like I think it'd be really cool to just learn certain things. And I'm still learning. I'm still taking workshop classes. And I, one thing that I love about freelancing is that it gives me space to truly do what I love and it gives me the time. So whenever I have slow periods, I'm just taking workshop classes. And finally, like there's some shops, um, or some studios that are open where they do like in-person courses. So that's fun. And um, yeah, I also get an opportunity to meet with other emerging designers in New York City. And I like get to gain more resources and advice on, you know, how to like create a business. And even though I'm starting later in the game because I'm going to be turning 30 next year. I think it keeps me on my toes and it's always fun to learn a new thing. So, yeah. I'm a huge fan of turning 30. I loved being 30. I'm 31 now. 30 was my favorite, favorite year ever. Like I just, like 30 just felt like, everything I want like I don't know I was just like so in tune with my emotion and myself and like just like doing whatever it is that like brought me joy and like 
I was at a point where like I knew what made me happy and like it there's this kind of relief when you kind of realize yeah. okay this is who I am and this is what I like to do and and like you're talking about you know kind of working as a model and freelancing with brands and that kind of taking you down this road of like creativity and other yeah, things definitely. that you've always kind of been passionate about but maybe didn't really know how to like get into it or get started I think that's one thing that holds a it, lot of people it's back. so funny that's yeah that's exactly how I felt too it's like I've always loved fashion in the industry but I didn't know where I lied in it. I remember mm -hmm. like I used to take like PR internships and I'm like, okay, PR is not for me. I don't like, mm -hmm. I don't like fashion that, you know, <laughs> enough. But then I didn't realize that I could actually like be a part of the craftsmanship of it and like learning how to do certain things. And it takes so much time to just like perfect a craft. And it just makes me like anxious to finally like fully dive into it. But I think one thing that I was always discouraged about was, you know, doing a career switch at a later time of my year. Like I just remember when I was 26, I think it was like 25 or 26 was when I was like, I want to learn how to design and I want to like understand like entrepreneurship and like working for myself and trademarking, you know, a brand. And, you know, so it's like things that I'm still grasping, even like learning how to like create a website or a logo or like choosing a font. And I didn't realize how much time it takes to, start your own thing but I have the time and I'm willing to dedicate it you know dedicate it towards you know this passion yeah and I think but, that um, are you um, still I know that you were an, an account manager at a tax firm for a while are you still doing that oh, not a manager I wasn't a manager I was just oh, working oh. at within an account team but I quit my job when I think I was like 24, I realized that it was not only becoming a little overwhelming because there was a time when I was able to manage doing like side modeling gigs and work a nine to five. But after a while, modeling was getting in the way and I didn't even feel confident enough that I would be able to be fully sufficient just full doing being a full-time model so mm -hmm. I also it's hard because sometimes I look back and I'm like I guess I model but I never really thought of myself as a model nor <laughs> do I like I'm like I guess I like so close but I'm like am I a designer you know so it's like sometimes um what I love about like my life is just like I, I feel like I can just breathe and live and just see like where life takes me but um and I don't want to like confine myself in like one category but when I was working at the auditing firm I had a moment of realization I think I just like hit a midlife crisis where I was just like I don't want to do this until I'm 60 and I retire and look back and be like I spent all my time under a desk you know 80% of my time doing this for stability it's like I'd rather just fight for a passion and that's when I let it go and until I took that leap so many more opportunities arise from it so um, I'm happy that I did that and I I just know that like me personally I I can't do a nine to five. Like it's just not in me. I, I can't do it. Like I rather just find other ways to make money. And so far I'm okay. So it feels <laughs> good. I'm happy with that decision. I mean, yeah, I, I had no idea that you, you left it so long ago. Cause yeah, like I said, I was doing some digging online and I guess I didn't check the date of it. Yeah. I was like, Oh my God. I'm like, how is she still? Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> I was like, how is she still oh, yeah, no, doing all this? I, I could like, not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, I, I, I was, 
I was working a full-time nine to five job kind of when I started out and like uh, thinking about doing that now, I'm like, I would, I would be dead. And also just like creatively when you're working in that creative field, you don't want to feel drained by this other thing that you really actually don't. It's not that you don't like care about it, but it's just kind of like, this is not where my passion is lying right now. I would rather conserve that energy for something that I need to like throw myself into. Yeah, it's funny because I felt like when I was in that environment, I felt like my life was just like dwindling away from me. And I just didn't want to live with any regrets. So it, I, I took a leap of just like not really understanding the freelance life. But I remember just meeting other, you know, creatives online. And I'm like, if they're able to do it, I can do it too. So I started meeting up with different people and seeing like how they went about it. And even understanding like, oh, well, how do we, you know, get insurance, you know, as a creative, it's like, mm-hmm. what should we qualify for? Or like how to save money in certain ways. But, um, yeah, it's been a hustle, but I live with no regrets and I'm happy where this is taking me. I wanted to ask you, how did you get into modeling? Like, how did that come to be? It's a, yeah. It's funny. Cause I feel like some people used to reach out to me years ago when I first started. And I think it's been like three years since I've been modeling, but, um, I honestly feel like a part of me doesn't really understand how, because it's not like I was yearning for that career path. It just came my way and I just took up the opportunity. But I honestly feel like people started reaching out to me. I'll never forget it because Nunnan Vintage, I don't know if you follow them on Insta, but they came to me. love them. Oh my God, such good pieces. Yeah, so like three years ago, I think it could have been three or four years ago, they DM'd me and asked if I would be open to doing a shoot with them when they were visiting New York City. And I said, yes, I like love their pieces. So, and when I did it with them, they asked me like how long I was modeling. And I was like, this is my first shoot. Like I've never done it before. But once they posted the images from the shoot, other small vintage shops and independent brands reached out. And from there on, I started getting more exposure. So there were times when I was doing things, you know, for free or for trade or, um, you know, like small amount of money compared to like how much I ask now. But I think it was the part of the hustle. I personally think it was because I was being authentically me on Insta. I feel like even at that time, I wasn't even really showing too much of, you know, my face or my body. I was just posting to post because I think at that time it just felt more carefree. And from there on, I like loved the opportunity because I just remember when I was younger, which is what we talked about before about like watching Bollywood. And I remember I would look at all the actresses and I would think they were so beautiful, but they didn't look necessarily look like me. You know, like you rarely, except for aside from Kajal. And I don't know if you know her, if you've seen Bollywood movies. Yeah. My sister-in-law and my brother-in-law are both from India. So Bollywood was definitely on in our house. Nice. So nice. Cause I, it's funny cause some people ask me like what my favorite like childhood movies are. And I'm like, honestly, I've only watched Bollywood. So like I, <laughs> we can't really, you know, but I feel like it was a thing that I didn't, I couldn't really express, you know, cause I didn't have many pucks, any friends or Daisy friends, um, at that age when I was younger, but, um, or who's ever seen it. But anyways, when I saw the actresses, they just didn't look like me. They were fair skin and had long straight hair. And I've always identified beauty with them. So mm-hmm. looking at 
my experience and having people wanting to represent or use me as their models. And I'm like, oh, this is just so nice to see, you know, like I am at average height. I'm five, six, you know, had zero modeling experience. Also hadn't, didn't even think that that was a path that I can even go for, but people, you know, responded to it well. And I'm like very thankful because I feel like that journey has like brought me to a passion that I'm fighting for now. And, um, I've also realized that throughout my journey, I have capacity to grow, to be exactly who I want to be. And it keeps me on my toes and I'm like very thankful for modeling. And I still do it to this day, but I would love to be the one to be making the clothes and having someone model it, you know? But yeah, don't get me wrong for any brands. You can still use me. So. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, and you're like an amazing model also. So I'm oh, like, like so I remember seeing you like on, I think it was a girlfriend collective. Did you? Yeah, model for that, was, yeah. that was, yeah, that was my first big brand. And at first I was like, you guys want to use me? I really couldn't believe that they were like, we're going to fly you to LA. And I thought that was a big thing. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like it was It's like- so funny. I, I was recently, I was just interviewed for this magazine. It's like, when did you realize, like, when did, what was like a career defining moment for you? And for me in my freelance career, the most, the moment that I realized I was like, oh shit, like I'm doing something is when someone flew me out somewhere. I was like, just something about being flown yeah, somewhere. Yeah. I'm just like, you want me to be here that bad that not only are you paying me but you're also going <laughs> yeah. to bring me there like my bl- brain yeah, can't yeah. compute this like, what like what yes, like, literally travel and say it's like yeah 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 it's it's like whoa it's it's just it's very surreal and I think like you know for you growing up you know being half black half Pakistani not seeing yourself represented similarly for me being like you know Muslim and then wearing hijab from like a young age not seeing myself represented it's like oh we're not the people that they want you know what I mean like and then when they want it's like oh shit like you like me like what the fuck is going on like you want to see wear your clothes like it's yeah, it, it, you can't help but feel like happy about it, especially when you love the fashion space growing up and like you just feel very much so like it's out of your reach. So like when it does feel like, okay, wait, it might be in my reach. It's it's a very nice moment. At least that's what it was. It was, it just felt really good. It was definitely the same for me. This is exactly how I think I was just at awe of that people even wanted to have me represent like some of their clothes or model for it. So it, it, always warmed my heart with every opportunity I get, especially if it's the people that are reaching out, not for castings, but know that they want to work with me. Or they're like, we've seen your things mm-hmm. and we would love to have you. And it, it just, it makes the, you know, the path just all worthwhile. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so I've recently implemented a segment on the podcast. This is going to now be like the third time we're trying it out where mm-hmm. I do kind of like a mental health check, just kind of like, how are you feeling? How are you like, how's your week going? Like, how are you? Oh, okay. So this week has been somewhat productive. Like I was excited to do this podcast. I've also, I don't know if I share this with the audience, but this is my first podcast. So at first I was, I had the little nervous butterflies and I'm like, oh, okay. Like, me like what can I share but when you you made me feel very comfortable the idea of having like an informal conversation just to talk about my experience and I think I can go on for days talking about being biracial <laughs> and how it has defined me and created a life for me and also helped me find my partner he's also black 
well, he's Nigerian and Danish. So it's like far different from my experience as a black woman because I'm African-American and he is Nigerian. Mm -hmm. So it's like um, just like understanding like the vast difference like within like the same culture. I guess it's considered the same race, but different cultures. Yeah. So it's always like interesting to just be accepting those who are different from you. And I think that my parents has always installed in me that you can love who you love. You know, like I've always thought of people as humans and not Mm -hmm. like in specific categories, like um, when it comes to religion, ethnicities or um, races, but yeah, or class. But um Aside from that, I did a couple castings, um, so I'm anxious to hear if I'm going to be accepted in that, and one <laughs> might be including me and my mom together, so that's going to be fun. Um, well, who knows if I even that. got it. So, uh, let's, <laughs> so we'll let's audience, yes. let's all for her for her to do something with her mom, because it sounds yes. like it was amazing. Yes, and... Um, on Monday, I finished finalizing a pattern for a top that I want to make for a special occasion that I'm going to be having in December. So I'm excited to share that when I'm ready. But I have came out with like a cute little holiday set. And a part of it is inspired by like a modern look slash like using Indian textiles. Because one thing that I've always loved was like Indian silks and Mm -hmm. like the raw silks and their textiles and how full their pieces are. I remember when I was younger, going back to, you know, being obsessed with Bollywood, I used to drape fitted sheets on me to look like a sari. And I was like, I wish that I could wear a sari. Yeah. And I like, I always look back into it. I'm like, how can I, you know, take, you know, a fashion that I once loved and I still do and bring it and modernize it in like Western cult like fashion. And um, so I've been working on that and I finally finalized the piece. So I'm waiting for fabric to be delivered to me so I can work on the final piece. Cause I just did a draft using muslin fabric, which is just like, it's just a draft. But um, so yeah, I feel like I have been working slash, you know, continuing a craft, which makes me feel whole. I went grocery shopping. It's been a while since I've done that. So that feels good too. And I'm going to be doing a shoot, right? It feels so (laughs) nice, especially during the pandemic. It really honed me into just like learning how to cook more. Like I made sushi for the first time and I'm like, wow, like I don't even think I need to buy any more sushi. I can just make it myself. Literally, that's exactly what happened to me during the pandemic. Like, I realized that I can make things in my kitchen that I like eating out. And I'm like, why am I eating out when I can just make this at home and wear sweatpants while I do it? That's where I am. Yep, that's exactly where I am. Um, I deep conditioned my hair. I've, like, connected with a couple friends. And I've also have been taking a break on Instagram without feeling like I have to feel pressured to be consistent, you know, like with the algorithm and stuff. I like know when it's necessary to take a break and I'm okay with that. Um, So that's about it. And I'm excited because I've been looking at some henna designs on Pinterest and I think I might want to do some cute little designs over the weekend for fun. And that's about it. I literally love 
everything about that. I'm like, first of all, I'm like, I, I think it's so interesting how like things that have made you feel like more whole are very similar to things that make me feel more whole. Like when I feel like I'm yeah, like, I was actually curious to hear yours. Yeah, no, like it just like when I feel like I'm working and obviously doing things that I'm like passionate about, like it, it's not even about like, Oh, checking something off a list. It's just this really good feeling that I can't explain where it's like, I get to do the thing that I love to do. And like, it makes me feel really good. It makes me feel more like myself when I'm just doing things that I can call my job. And it just feels like me and yeah, grocery shopping, all of that. I'm like, those are all very grounding things for me as well. Um, But I'm so, so, so glad that you took the time to come on the show. And like, I'm so grateful that this is your first podcast. Like, like I, I don't know. I'm, I feel very honored that, you know, you chose to to share your story and talk a little bit with me today. But um, where can people follow you online? Where can people buy your clothing? Um, anything that you want to plug? Okay, so you guys can follow me on my Instagram. It is my name, Shereen, S-H-E-R-E-E-N-M-U-H-M-M-A-D. I have that version of Muhammad because the way I really spell it is already taken and, you know, it'll take time. But for now, if you love some of these pieces, right now you can still order a crochet top, but I'm working on a few other patterns. And once that's finalized, I am hoping to create a website. So for now, you can DM me. But until hopefully by the new year, I'll have my website started and I'll be excited to take orders from there on. Um, but thank you guys so much um, for you. making this. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and I'm going to have all of um, Shireen's. Um, socials and stuff linked in the episode description as always you guys can follow the podcast on instagram at arab american psycho where you will see a beautiful picture of shireen she's stunning oh so and i'm yeah. so excited i'm so excited <laughs> for this opportunity thank you so much i can't thank you enough i think this is one of my favorite experiences to date who would have known I, you know yeah who would have known that you guys wanted to hear about my experience and it makes me feel very whole and i can't thank you enough Oh my God, literally, you are going to make me cry today. This is like the second time we're like making me tear up today because I'm just like, oh my God. But no, literally, I was telling Shireen before we started recording, I was like, you're someone who's been on like that. I have a list of, I always have an ongoing Uh list of like people that I want to talk to on the podcast. And I remember seeing her and I was like, I don't know if she would want to do a podcast. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to like ask her. I'm just going to ask her if she wants to be on the podcast. And she said yes. And I was like, it was a win for me. I'm so glad I reached out. I'm so glad that we connected and now we're just going to have to be friends, whether you like it or not. It's just, it's happening. It's happening. Yes. We, whenever it's happening. you're in New York city, please let me know. You I have to let me know when you're in New York city. I, I would love to treat you to a drink. Oh my God. Okay. You're so sweet. But yeah, as always, you guys can follow the podcast on Instagram at Arab American Psycho and you could follow me on Instagram at Noor E and I will talk to you guys next week.